Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Before we get into this episode of Talking Metal, I want to encourage everyone out there listening to the show, everyone who enjoys the show, to connect with me on Patreon, okay? That's the way you support what I do. Obviously, this is a labor of love. I'd love for it to be more than that. And some people are trying to help me make that dream come true, and they're joining me on Patreon. Uh, what you get for a $5 a month pledge, you will get a bonus podcast every single week. I do that with my buddy, Victor Ruiz. And you will also get a Talking Metal t-shirt mailed to you anywhere in the world. So please join me on Patreon with $5 a month. I mean, it's such a small amount of money. And when you think about what you're paying for premium content on you know, Netflix and Shudder and all these apps that we, HBO and all these other apps we pay a monthly fee for, why not give just a fraction of that? I mean, you can even do $2 a month on Patreon and that gets you access to content like the bonus podcast every week. You won't get a t-shirt for $2 a, a month, but, uh, yeah, I tell you what you do $5 a month. I'll even throw in a talking metal face mask, help you stay safe during this COVID time. And Rob Halford is on the podcast today. He encourages everyone to wear a face mask at the end of the interview. So why not make it a talking metal face mask? Join me on Patreon and I will send that out to you. If you don't want to do the Patreon thing, the face masks are $18 for people in the U.S., uh, $22 for people in Europe, and you would just hit me up on paypal.me slash Mark Striegel. That's M-A-R-K-S-T-R-I-G-L. And big shout out to the patrons before we get into the podcast, Lou Velcourt, thank you, Lou, Andrew Miller, Jeremy Weltman, Chris Riley, Johan Enderstrom, Stephen Rodriguez, Tommy Anderson, Gregory Muse, Kenny McCrimmon, Lou, Lou, <laughs> Leo, Leo from Alaska, love Leo, Brad Dahl, Richard Langridge, Dan Gurwan, Jerry from Long Island, Sam Soupy, Drake, Matt Carroll, Joe Ryan, Jason Seth, Steven Saylor, Ron Keel, Jean-Francois Bloss. I never know if I say that correctly. Anthony Mackey, James Bennett, Mr. David Gray, Mr. David S. Gray, that is. Fred Roots, Michael Street, Mike Jones, Steve Hoker, Jean Boivari, Metal Dan. Thanks, guys. This is 
a new interview with Rob Halford. Let's check it out. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. Here's an old classic that sounds just as good today as it did when we were kids. Old school priest right there. 
going way back to the painkiller record Hell Patrol off a of painkiller by Judas Priest. Today's guest is, of course, the one and only Rob Halford. I'm not going to waste much time. I do want to get right into this interview that John Astronomy and I conducted. And it did well for us. Blabbermouth picked it up and uh, Rob broke some news about the new music, which he says may be in the painkiller vein. It's fierce. He describes it as fierce. You'll hear him say that, among many other things. So what a fun conversation. And uh, to anyone who was commenting, because we put a video up of this and, and people were like, oh, why didn't you ask him this? Why didn't you ask him that? And then somebody said, well, maybe they, they're not allowed to ask about certain things. There were there were no there were <laughs> there were no questions we couldn't ask Rob. We had a li- 20 minutes. He was gracious to probably stay on closer to 25 with us. And uh, listen, I, I wasn't looking to throw hardball questions, gotcha questions at, at him. And yeah, so these are the questions that John and I chose to ask. All right. I'm sorry if we didn't get to the questions you wanted. Anyways, this is some Halford going back, I think like what, early 2000s, 2002, I think for this. This is a great tune. One Will by the Halford Band, followed by my interview with the man himself, the metal god, Rob Halford.
man who got the Queen of England to say the words heavy metal, Mr. Rob Halford. Rob, how are you? Hi, everybody. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yes. Uh, Her Majesty the Heavy Metal Queen and I. What a great story that is and confess. Yeah. Wrong way. That way. (laughs) Yeah, right there. Rob, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We have a long history with you. You've been on the Headbangers Ball when we hosted. You've been on the Talking Metal on Fuse show when we hosted. You've been on our live radio show. And way back in 2006, We met up at the Astro Restaurant, Astro Diner on 55th Street and 6th Avenue in Manhattan and sat down. Here's a picture of us there. And uh, do you remember that day? Let me look at this picture. Yeah, well, we're we're all there together. Man, I've got got so many metal miles in this brain box. Um, I love love those New York diners. That's for for sure. Right. uh, So there you go. Uh, Yeah. That's a great pick. That's a great pick. Thank Absolutely. you. Thanks. And and John seems to remember that you had the grilled cheese that day in 2006 when we had lunch. <laughs> I love you. the grilled cheese. Yeah. <laughs> well, whenever I get to New York, one of the first things I, I always order when I, I usually stay at the Essex House is uh, my New York my New York cheesecake. That's that's kind of a ritual. Love it. It goes way back, way way back. Awesome. I love well, it, Rob. Bob. Rob, thank you for writing Confess. I I read the whole thing, loved every single page of it, and I've been a lifelong fan. And the one thing that I found so cool about it, and I just, again, wanted to thank you for being so honest, because I feel like a lot of these books, sometimes people want to paint things in a certain way for history, but but you gave us all the great moments, but you also uh, were able to kind of share moments that maybe weren't even that flattering towards you. And I, I really, as a fan found that uh, truly great to read because I felt like it was a friend talking to me in the book. And, and was it, was it therapeutic for you? Like even the arrest in Venice beach, for example, I mean, was it, was it therapeutic for you to put that stuff out there for the first time? It was absolutely remarkable. Yeah. And, and it's so, so nice to hear you say about the, um, the conversational aspect of the way it makes you feel when you're reading the book. Like yeah. we're chatting now, guys, that's me. You know, you've known me forever. This is just who I am. And, and the amazing Ian Gittins, who worked with me on the book, he should be given massive props because he was able to take these textures of my personality and put them into the way you read the book to yourself. And, um, so yeah, it was it was cathartic in a lot of ways. It was cathartic in that man, I can't believe the life I've led, you know, right. because it's one thing to have a you know have a little chat about one incident and then think you know about another incident, but when you actually stream your whole life timeline from the earliest memories that I have from being a little kid when I sang for the first time in class to um, what we just experienced together on the on the firepower tour. It's remarkable, guys. It really is. I'm, I'm, I'm truly blessed, and I'm, I'm so grateful to everybody uh, in the metal world for, for giving me this life, as well as all of us in Priest, because we've always said over and over again that we couldn't have got to where we are without our beautiful heavy metal maniacs. 
Absolutely. And in, in the book, you know, John and I were North Jersey, right by New York City. Um, we see a lot of shows at the very famous Madison Square Garden. And you talk about how Judas Priest was as a lifetime band there. Now, actually, we got to see you there with the band Halford, I think, once. But uh, have you ever tried to to reach out? I believe the Dolan family uh, own Madison Square Garden and get that band removed because we need priests back at the garden. <laughs> it's a great place, isn't it, man? It's got such a rich history of events, every kind of stuff. I was watching on YouTube the night of Frank Sinatra at Madison Square Garden, oh. you know, and they had this, the, wow. the stage in the center. And, he, you know, right. he's in a, in a great part of his life and he walks out and it's like a boxer going into the ring, which again, all of these great boxing matches and all of these other uh, 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 incredible sporting events have happened at the garden and, and most memorably music. And that, that night when the fans went a little bit too enthusiastic and uh, created a quarter of a million dollars worth of excitement, which resulted <laughs> in the ban, it was, uh, that was a wild, wild night. But yeah, I didn't even know they were going to let me in when the Halford band played there. Nobody blinked an eye. I was expecting, right. a, you know, a hand on the collar. This way, buddy, you know, <laughs> but it didn't happen. You know, I would love to play there at least at least one more time with Priest, just because of our great affection for that for that venue and uh, and all of the great things that happen in there. So maybe you guys can put a word in for us. I don't know. We can. We we have a connection to the family, and uh, because of our old television show, so we will do what we can to get Judas Priest back at MSG. All right, <laughs> let's do it, guys. Let's no guarantees, though. <laughs> yeah. So, Rob, I have a question for you, and it's about songwriting. Now, um, when when you uh, did Sin After Sin in 77, you already had two records out. Um, you had great signature songs like Victim of Changes. But I know that in the book, you reveal that you weren't really completely satisfied with your lyric writing until Sin After Sin. Is that is that correct? Yeah, there's a reference I make, particularly about once I started uh, this sober life, that I just felt that my my writing ability as a lyricist, especially, it, it just it, things cleared up. They were less cluttered, you know, and I, I had a, I had a better understanding of of lyrics and and their and their power, um, and and of course that happened in in '86 and and several priest records had happened before then. So um, I, I used them as a kind of a template, as a reference. Um, I, I was a different person then, you know, mentally as, as well as uh, everything else. Um, so uh, this whole way of looking at what you do as a musician is vital. We're always, we're always questioning where we're going and what we're doing with our music because we want to make the best things happen, you know, and the best things happen when, Everybody's in the in the best place in terms of clarity, um, uh, and for me as a, as a as a lyricist as well as a singer, that was vital. So I, I'm I'm I think that's useful. I think it's useful to look back at those uh, maybe missed opportunities because you you never want to go there again. You just want to you just want to keep improving. Even now, uh, you know, after the Firepower album and looking ahead to the next one. The uh, the excitement and the, the the kind of challenge, if you want to call it that, of of going one better and another step up on the heavy metal ladder, is what keeps you uh, driven and keeps you motivated. Thanks, great. 
Mark? Rob, um, I'm yeah, not sure. Sorry, if you can hear I had Mark the mute there. button on there for question? a second. Sorry about that. Oh, okay, he's, um, okay, he's back. He's back. Go ahead, Mark. Rob. Rob, throughout the book, uh, you mentioned there's a you have a belief that there is something else besides what we have here. There's the one incident where your bed shakes when you were staying uh, somewhere. Another time where you walk into the church and you, you feel like you were spoken to at the limelight. The psychic who who sends you a message from from beyond. I won't give everything away, but uh, you you truly have a belief that there's something else out there. And is that something that you feel in your life on a daily basis? Or is it something you just casually think about every now and again? Well, again, in my recovery, it's um, it's with me all the time. It's 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 something that I utilize every day throughout the day. And it keeps me balanced and it keeps me peaceful. And and it keeps me in, in harmony and in, and in touch with life. That's just the way it works for me. It's not for everybody, you know. Right but I, I talk I talk about it just because um, it it's it, it's important to me, and it's made me the kind of person that I am with dealing the with life as it is. And um, th- those stories, I think, are uh, are vital because they they kind of connect the dots in this long life that I've had. So, uh, yeah, they, they, they sound really wild, really wild, but they're they're true. They they actually happened. And I think that, um, there's probably going to be many, many people that read those chapters, those moments and go, yeah, it's either happened to me or it's happened to someone that I know, uh, or I have a, I have my own kind of belief in, in that, um, in that uh, part of living and after we live in this physical sense. So it's very special to me and I cherish it. Awesome. And one thing I think you actually told us in a previous interview, which didn't make the book, correct me if I'm wrong, but you once also had a UFO experience, correct? Oh, don't get me started on the UFOs. Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of when UFOs... I, when I go for a- when I when I go for a swim every night in my pool, I do my nightly walk, which takes about an hour through, hiking through the, the hills and so forth here in Phoenix. And then I go for a swim afterwards, and I'm doing the what, what's called you know the backstroke. <laughs> That's what it's called. Just floating around and looking up at the sky, you know. And I haven't seen anything as dramatic as those two moments that that happened to me when uh, you know when I was a younger person. The first time was when I was coming back from the Grand Theatre at Wolverhampton. I was on my little moped, my little put-put moped, and I pulled up uh, back at uh, the place that I was living. And it was in the winter, and and I stopped. And then out over the horizon, this big kind of orange ball of light comes up, you know, and it, it's there's nothing else going on in the sky apart from the stars. And I look at that, and I what, is, what the hell is that? And then from the east and the west, you got two other kind of orbs, these like blue and red or whatever and they come in to the central point where there's this orange ball of light and they go into this ball of light and then the, the whole thing shoots over the top of my head so uh, you know what do you what do you think that was my that was one of my first experiences you know and then um a few years later um I had another experience when I was driving along uh, and all these cars had pulled over to one side and you, you're just curious, a lucky loo, pull over and I get out. And we're all staring at this 
very uh, metallic kind of oval um, piece of metal that's just hovering not too far away without making any noise. It's just hovering there and everybody's looking. This is before internet folks and cell phones and what have you. We just saw, what is that? It's not a weather balloon or stuff because it's static. And then it kind of rotates a little bit. And then and then it too shoots off in, in a direction, you know, east or west, whatever. And and there you go. So those wow. were two uh those were two very vivid uh real time experiences. And I just love that whole discussion, especially what uh what Tom's doing right now with his uh disclosures, uh Tom from Blink. And um right. It fascinates me. I'm 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 always fascinated by the unknown, you know, and uh, so um, all the little green men thing and, and and this that and the other. It's intriguing. A lot of conspiracies yeah. out there. Uh, yeah. I, I think we're all searching. We're all searching for answers, you know. And as we move on in life, this whole business of enlightenment is uh, is opening up. So who knows where that's going to take us next. Yeah, and Tom from Blink One Eighty Two has really exposed some stuff. It's quite incredible the work that that he has uh, put into that. So yeah, definitely, John. I I admire him. I admire him. Just to round this bit of the questioning off, I admire him because uh, you get a lot of bullying. You know, you get a lot of oh, you you're an idiot, or you you know, you get all of these this kind of when people don't understand something, they go on the defensive and they attack and they attack and they attack. You know. Well, they don't understand, so their only reaction is to be negative, you know, to be hostile, and that's a terrible way to be as a person. Firstly, because uh, he has no value, uh, and I admire him because he's, you know, he's sticking to what he what his beliefs are, and uh, I'm sure he's got some more strong stuff that's going to be uh, unleashed in the future. Uh, speaking of Unleashed and speaking of aliens, um, I work for Ace Frehley, Rob, and I know you just saw Ace uh, a couple of years ago at Alice Cooper's Christmas event, but I wanted to talk about when Unleashed in the East was released in 1979, you guys uh, toured with Kiss, and you guys have some interesting stories about the tour, So, and, and that's something you addressed in the book. Tell us about that. Well, firstly, shout out to Ace. I love you, Ace. You're amazing. You're just Excellent. such a great guy. You're a great guy. You're a great guitar player and done so many incredible things in rock and roll. Uh, it's a beautiful reference that Priest has with Kiss because Kiss took us out on a massive uh, American tour when we were still in our growth pattern. And uh, unbeknownst to us at the time, the whole band, but particularly Gene and, and Paul, were, were, were very big fans of Judas Priest. So this was a, a, a glorious opportunity for us to uh, be, get, be guests with them, open up their shows throughout this massive American tour, and introduced us to so many new uh, fans that, that that came on board after that after that Kiss tour. But it was it was great, man. It was uh, the Kiss were just roaring at that time as far as. Uh, as much as they, they still are now, but in the in the, the decade that we're talking about, it was extra special. You know, the, there was just uh, just a, a very exciting, uh, mysterious, uh, uh, great uh, adventure that everybody was was having with Kiss uh, as the band was at that moment, and. Uh, you know, I, I read I read something recently, which is kind of cool, that, that Paul was saying that looking back, 
they felt that they had a lot of missed opportunities because they had to keep their identities hidden. You know, you could never see them out of the 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 um, the the great way that they look on stage. You know, and and they he kind of reflects now that that they wish they could have find, found a way to balance that up. You know, right. um, especially with the fans, especially wanting to see the fans when they, you know, they were they were off stage. Um, but they're a remarkable band. They're absolutely there's, there's, only, there's only ever going to be one Kiss. There's no other band that comes close to them. Um, but it was a great tour, man. You know, it was especially fun for me because I mean, at the time, I think Gene was dating Cher. And I used to sneak into the, I used to sneak into the uh, into the sound checks that Kiss did, and the, the guys were up on stage, and I'd see Cher hanging out on the side there, and uh, just just great memories, great rock and roll memories. And what's great is that uh, you know Kiss fans are sometimes difficult to play for when you're a support uh, group, but you guys won them over because they knew that you were persistent. You guys had your act together, and you were tough, and and you were rocking. So the Kiss fans accepted you guys. Yeah, they yeah they they're brutal. Kiss fans are brutal, a bit like Priest fans. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, You've got to be ready for anything, you know, when you go out and and and, and work with Kiss because their fans are, are rabid. They're you know, they love the band that much, and you're taking up you're taking up some valuable time. Why isn't Kiss on there? You know, <laughs> um, but they were gracious. They were gracious, and that they they they, uh, you know, we would go out on that stage as an unknown band to a lot of Kiss fans. And by the end of the night, we had everybody horns up and just you know partying and, and having a great time together. So again, that whole Kiss world is something very special to us. We should have been doing some shows together in Europe, but then this this pandemic screwed things up. And, I know. And I hope that those dates will be rescheduled because um, we we see each other, you know, rarely. That's just the way it is in rock and roll. Um, right. It's pretty cool that Gene and I have the same birthday on the twenty fifth. August twenty fifth. Yeah, and you're a Virgo, and I'm yeah. a Virgo too. So I love it. He always sends he always sends me a, 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 an email or a text like how how are you doing, young man of metal? You know, very very Jean, very typically Jean. <laughs> so, so Rob, I, okay. I know we're we're down to our last uh, few minutes here, but I just wanted to uh, quickly get an update from you on on Judas Priest. There is new music in the works, of course. Judas Priest has a lot of diversity when you look at the different sounds you've had, from Sad Wings of Destiny to Hellbent to Leather to you know Turbo to, to Defenders to uh, to all the different records to Firepower for that matter. Do you expect that the next Judas Priest record will be very similar in the musical style that Firepower was in, or do you expect it to go somewhere a little different? We had we had some great writing sessions at the start of this year. Uh, back in the UK at, at uh, Glenn's uh, setup, his studio, and um, man, it was just just boundless opportunities that were coming out of those writing sessions. And we did a lot of demos. I've got them all. I've got pretty much an album of Judas Priest in this phone right now, wow. and um, it's just uh, it's just amazing, you know. Got to give a shout out to the fans, uh, as we always do. We can't be who we are without you guys looking after us and giving us the inspiration and the motivation because we came off that firepower to us, so energized, you know, and we, we still were feeling that when we started the writing sessions early this year. And uh, we've got a lot of work done. We still, we, we usually have 
we on, on average we usually have three or four big writing sessions at, at a month or so at a time and so we've got the first one down and got a lot of material um it's incredibly fierce <laughs> i think that energy was just being channeled especially from richie some of his riffs and some of the some of the you know the core of the of the songs are absolutely lethal so I I I feel textures of the painkiller experience um, oh, okay. in some of the songs, you know, and 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 the classic elements again. It'll have its own legs, like they all do. They've all got their own character, and I think whatever this album is called, and whenever it's released, it'll be another great metal milestone for Judas Priest. That's awesome to hear. And Andy, he he will be on board as a producer again and continue on as playing guitar for you guys when you return to the, the live stage? It was a great experience working with Andy and Tom, Tom Colonel Tom, Alan, because uh, they're, they're two, they have two different um, approaches as producers. And we didn't even know if that was going to work when we started to think about putting them together. But what a great idea that was. And uh and they made some special things happen in terms of production. Me personally, I'm happy to re- replicate that thing over again because I think we just we just touched touched the surface of it with the Firepower production team, and with Mike Exeter as well that had just come off the Sabbath 13 album. Um, so uh, anything can happen, uh, but I just feel it's going to be another very very extra strong record when uh, we finally get it made. And you imagine I mean, Glenn's that doing Andy- great. Glenn's doing great. Yeah, he's um, yeah, yeah. He's been. Andy goes over to see him every so often, and and Glenn's putting his ideas down, and Andy formulates them and knocks them into shape, and he's got all these files ready with Glenn's riffage. You know, his piles of metal riffs, and um, at the appropriate time, we'll all get back together again um, and go through all that and, and make some more metal and. Uh, Man, he's he's a hero. He just had his seventy third birthday. Uh, he's just an unbelievable person, you know. And um, uh, he thrives on all the, the great messages that he's just had from all around the world, especially on social media, because he reads that stuff, and it means the world to him, you know. So uh, Glenn's still very much an active uh, uh, Judas Priest uh, member, if that's the right word, member. Right, and. Uh, I, I, yeah, I would I would imagine that Andy will be with us when we go out again. That's entirely up to that's entirely up to Glenn to to a certain extent um, to uh, give the final thumbs up on that. Andy was very gracious to come in um, when uh, when Glenn was decided to step away from the work because Glenn is a thousand percent. If he can't give a thousand percent, he wants the best. He wants the best for for this band and always always will do. So uh, yeah. I'm pretty confident that uh, that Andy will be with us, and it will just be another great uh, roar around the planet one more time. Cool. Well, I know we'd have to wrap it up with you, Rob, but uh, again, the book is Confess, and it is a great read. And I, I I thought that it really is an important part of of gay rights history too, because it's a, a different view of uh, of of your life in the heavy metal world and and that intersection with with being a gay man and i thought it was just a beautiful story and really appreciate the honesty you put forth uh for us fans it was awesome 
thank you, man. I, I, I and again, I appreciate those kind words. Um, that side of who I am uh, is still important because, uh, as a person that lives uh, and 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 works in a, a group of people that are still uh, a minority to a great extent, minorities never get a level playing field. So we have we still have a lot of work to do. Um, particularly at, uh, at the political base, um, and so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's part of me as a, as a proud, proud gay metalhead. There are millions of metalheads like me in the LGBT community that are hardcore fans of metal. We're there. We're, we're loving metal for for everything that it does, not only for ourselves but for each other. Because heavy metal is unconditional. The way we welcome everybody in. Uh, no matter who you are, where you're from, what kind of car you drive, how much money you've got, what faith you have, the color of your skin—it's it's it's irrelevant. You know, it's who we are as as metalheads that is is the most important thing. But that, that's an important journey that uh, I talk about in Confess, and uh, I hope it has some value for for uh, for what I talk about and share with everyone that's uh, checking out the book. Well, Rob, we, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to spend the night with Talking Metal. And uh, we're going to we're going to make sure that all of our viewers and listeners go out and pick up your book. It's got great stories and it's got some amazing photos, a great photo session, uh, photo section. And I just want to say one of the funniest ones is the, the photo of you guys. When Les was in the band, you guys are all dressed in black leather and he's got the cowboy shirt on. And you said, Les. <laughs> Oh, no, not the cowboy shirt again. So anyway, people can look forward to seeing that photo plus some great photos from your childhood where I still think you look like the metal god, even in the photo with your mom, you know, on the beach. So I, I think it's a great book. I love the pictures. I love the stories. And we encourage everyone to go out and pick this up right now. Hey, guys, I've had a blast. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your show. Uh, keep safe. Uh, Wash those hands, wear that mask. Yep. <laughs> Listen to the scientists and uh, stay stay safe, stay strong, stay metal. And we'll see you guys in the big 2021. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, we will see you soon. <laughs> Thank Take you, care, Rob. Guys. Thanks so much. Take care. <laughs> cool. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Halford, a guy that we always welcome when he's here in New Jersey. I got to see them with Deep Purple at PNC Art Center. I guess that was the last time I saw Judas Priest uh, and saw him in Newark, uh, saw them uh, uh, when I was a kid in Chicago and so we saw them out in Long Island. So I've seen them all over the place. So yeah, Judas Priest, one of my favorite bands of all time, for sure. Here's Rob Halford, a Judas Priest. Yeah, I, I don't. All I have is a water, but I, I will uh, do it. I, I got two things, and you know, I'm not trying to, you know, promote heavy drinking or anything, but I just want to say that I'm drinking a nice glass of red wine, and. Uh,
Judas Priest. Thanks to John for doing that interview with me. Thanks to Marcy, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, Jonathan, for helping kind of help us produce the video side of that thing, which you can see on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash talking metal. Subscribe, please. We're trying to get more subscribers on that page. Check out my other podcast, Talking with Mark Striegel. It's uh, starting to get some subscribers. We got like 50. We need about... 9,950 more to get to where I want to be. We're going to be doing some fun stuff on that. Talking with Mark Striegel. Please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes. And uh, if you don't want to do the Patreon thing, hit me up with a PayPal donation. Why not, right? You can find that PayPal tab on the uh, the Talking Rock website or TalkingMetal.com. I think it's in the show notes for, for this episode. So there you go. Take care, guys. We'll talk to you next time, and let's uh, end with one more tune. What can I play here? How about some Alice Cooper? This is Freedom by Alice Cooper off the Raise Your Fist and Yell record. Love that record. Here we go.